Oh, hey, it's Derek here in the closet, closet chat. I thought I'd do a little introduction, introducing you to the conversation because I kind of just launched straight in and you don't get as much of the context. This conversation was so amazing. Like Lucinda says at the very end, it's like a conversation amongst friends. It's so thoughtful and considered and patient. And Lucinda Trial is an incredible artist that you must check out and you must listen to. But as well as that, we have this overarching topic to explore, which is music, film soundtracks. But then we kind of almost cracked the nut and understood how that influenced both of us in terms of our careers or music making in her case and identity. She also talks about working with FK Twigs and her classical background and how she builds these worlds. And, oh, there's a great part about cello, which I'm going to definitely be thinking about a lot. So I hope you like it. It's a good one. My favorite conversation. Let's go. Hello, everyone. It's Derek G Speaks Volumes, but in this case, it's Lucinda Chua Speaks Volumes. We have a special guest, a very special guest in the uh, in the house today. I would like to... I can, do all, I can do all the formal introductions, but we'll start with hello. Hello, Lucinda. Hi, Derek. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, we are doing this uh, at the time of recording in your morning, in my evening. And um, it's nice to chat because I feel like we're going to get in, in it and amongst it. I think I should share my kind of like connection with your music first, which is um, I was... a was still am a SoundCloud supporter and fan of yours. And I don't know how many years ago I found your work. Maybe it was the mixtapes, maybe it was a mix, but the, I mean, maybe this is like uh, a bit of a tease to what's to come, but it, the whole world that you'd built already, like the sound, the visuals and everything in between had me very intrigued and I've been a fan ever since. And so it was really nice that your label had reached out in the inbox you know not long ago to say you know would i be up for chatting and i was like of course um so it's great i'm a, I'm a big fan of your work and um i don't know should i introduce what you do should you introduce who you are for those who don't know who you are i think you should do it because there's it's the one thing that I find like really painful is being like, hi, my name's Lucinda Chouar and I do. So I hand that over to you. Okay, <laughs> let's go. Uh, let's let's do my best to represent. Uh, Lucinda Chouar is a brilliant <laughs> London, UK, British, half Chinese, right? Yes. Uh, multi-instrumentalist, producer, uh, uh produces and mixes her music. She uh, creates what I could describe as um, very evocative uh, uh, I'm terrible with genres as my audience knows. There's an ambient element to what you do. There's a um, there's a, a, a ballad element to what you do. There's a pop element to what you do. Um, it's very evocative of, you know, worlds that, you know, early massive attack and I feel, um, and, and air and artists like that. Um, but it's, it's, you're an art, she is an artist that 
um, exists in a very particular space. She's a cellist as well. Uh, that um, kind of is is quite a rare space of someone that is making, you know, art with a capital A, but is like so beautiful that it's very hard to dislike and um, is something that you could sit and listen to with your eyes closed in a in an auditorium or in you know a gallery and feel right at home and um that is lucinda everyone how'd i do that was so nice thank you not bad Honestly, like yeah thank you oh, i'm glad i'm glad um I, well you know I, as i speak to more and more people i'm I, I i won't be able to do this forever but i i like that I'm a fan of your work because it makes things a lot easier because I'm just, just genuine. Right. And, um, we are here to talk about your music. You released an album not that long ago, um, called Yen. Um, how long ago now? A couple months? Um, yeah. You know what? I can't really remember it. It's been such a blur, but I think it came out either March or April. Okay. Okay. And we, I've listened to a bunch of your interviews that you've done and you did one with Resident Advisor. And um, as the listener of this podcast knows, I like to somewhat have a thesis or a, a way to approach the discussion. And I don't have the concrete thesis of like, this is the this of that, but we're talking about soundtracks and the importance, significance, and how that f- relates to you and your story. I think that's that's the the main goal here. But I think that the way that we you approach co- things, we can co-author author our own thesis. Exactly, and maybe we'll figure it out by the end. So I need to stop talking now because you know this is you, not me. Um, and let's discuss. I'll, I'll, I'll start with this, and then you can talk for an hour straight. <laughs> um, your music is very visual. It's very cinematic. It's very, it, it, it evokes landscapes, soundscapes, space. Uh, it's very visual in, in not only what you do with your artwork, but what you do with your music videos, but what you do, what, what one does when one listens to it, you can kind of feel these spaces. And it, I, it, it's f- discussing with you and, and, um, also kind of thinking about it more, it does make sense that soundtracks informed a lot, large part of perhaps your per- persona and, and your inspiration. And let's talk about the music first. Like is, do you, how do you write music? Do you imagine worlds when you're making it? How do you feel like it feels so, it becomes so visual? I think I think when I write music it's I start off by thinking about like the skeleton of it so maybe I don't really go into like the textures and the colors and the the space I'm space of it I'm kind of more like focusing on what's the kernel inside the song or inside the composition and like what do I want that to communicate? And I feel like once I have a clear idea of what that means for me, and I have a bit of a kind of like skeleton of a song, that's when I start thinking about space and journey and 
light and shade and what I want it to feel like and how can I use production to kind of like evoke those feelings. But I think I, at the crux of it, I kind of need to know for myself, like what is it that I'm trying to say and what's the intention behind this song? Otherwise I can just get so lost in the production. Um, and yeah, but deep down, I try and think like if I was playing this, just on the piano and singing without a microphone or if a busker was like covering this with an acoustic guitar on the street, like what is the message underneath the production? Mm. Um, that, that's beautiful. I feel like a lot of artists, like the artists either like hear a sound that like inspires their work or you need to have the kind of like the idea to inspire the creation of it. And um, does it, you know, there's a lot of personal stories, a lot of thoughts of identity and obviously life experience. And once you have that kernel down, you know, as we said, you play a variety of different instruments and you produce and you engineer, like, where do you, where do you go? Like, do you pick up something? Do you, are you do experiment? How does it work for you? Um, I guess playing with instruments like um, piano and cello are the instruments that I guess I studied from quite a young age. So they're like my primary tools, but then I'm really excited at the intersection between taking these like classical instruments, but then working in Ableton or using effects pedals to kind of like manipulate and alter the sound. So it almost becomes something new. It's like, authoring a new voice of an instrument. I think I'm mm -hmm. just really interested in that like crossover. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, you know, to lead into the kind of like cinematic elements of it, I think there's, there's like, I think you've spoken about like different songs having different almost rooms or spaces. Like, because you, you're, did you study production and and kind of this design of sound mm, not really I mean like I guess it was just ex through experimentation and through trial and error um like when I was at university so I didn't actually study music at university I studied photography because mm. I wanted I wanted kind of wanted to be a visual artist when I was younger but um I guess my family were worried that if I became like a fine artist, I would struggle um, to like find work. And so with photography, it felt like a slightly more vocational career option, Yeah. Um, but it still was expressive and conceptual. And um, I think photography, I really enjoyed the social side of it as in, I took a lot of portraits and photographed a lot of people and photography almost like became a way to like build relationships and connect with people having that time, like making that image together. Um, but I did an elective in sound production at university because um, I had to kind of get extra credits in order to pass the year. Mm -hmm. And it was like lo-fi, lo I guess lo-fi production with a lot of analog techniques mm -hmm. 
So like tape splicing and making field recordings on mini disc and then working with that in the computer. I think we used Cubase. Um, but I can't remember what your question was. No, I, I, this is really great because I feel like I'm kind of piecing together parts of the story that all will fit into the, the greater, you know, piece because, you know, I, I studied graphic design and, and that informs a lot of how mm. I think, um, totally. even though I don't do that I anymore. I think it's part, like design principle or like art, like, I don't know, when I was studying photography, it was quite like a conceptual course mm -hmm. rather than like a practical course and the crits could go really hardcore in like you would get grilled to kind of like speak for your idea and what it meant and what you were trying to say and what your references were and like, what are the semiotics of this? And, yes. and, and so I think in a way, when I graduated, I was kind of like a bit afraid to be a photographer because I'd been so schooled in like all the rules of totally. how to read an image and what's the studium and what's the punctum. And, you know, it, that, when it actually came to making, I felt I didn't feel as free. Mm. But then in a way, I wonder if I applied that thinking and that schooling to music, which is something that I'd done from such a young age in a very, like, carefree way. For sure. it's uh, Those the, transferable skills kind of informed each other. Yeah, like, so you've got photography, you've got field recording, which I'm almost, like, cherry-picking to, like, you know, add to this world of Lucinda. And then there's obviously, uh, for those who haven't listened to multiple interviews with Lucinda, me, uh, you also have, you studied uh, playing the cello right from a young age. Um, the cello and the piano, yeah. I started piano. piano when I was three, and wow. I started the cello when I was ten. I'm, I could discuss and ask you a thousand questions about the Suzuki method, but I won't. Um, but you, that's another facet of you as we lead up to talking more about soundtracks, but like that, that formed that almost core or root of you as an artist is like, how would you summarize your uh, youth experience as a um, learning and expressing yourself through instruments? I felt like the emphasis was on play and not on grades. And there was like reward and encouragement for showing up and trying. Mm. And you got the same applause if you played the right hand of Mary Had a Little Lamb, age four, as you did if you were like, I don't know, playing really fancy, like classical repertoire. It, it was just like, from my experience, it was a really encouraging environment and um, learning to play by ear, developing an ear for music and for musicianship, getting to play with other people. There was a lot of emphasis on ensemble playing um, and performing from a very young age, but that being something that was quite low pressure mm. and and the emphasis being like, you're sharing music with an audience. Um, yeah, it was beautiful. It was really nice. I um, because I I learnt piano from young until uh, probably 
early teens and didn't do the Suzuki method and hated it because I, I was very stressful, sight reading, you know, doing all the exams and um, it's the, the, the method of Suzuki method that sounds like very fundamental to perhaps how you might operate in a sense like there's 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 performance there's audience there's there's uh expression without as many like rules although there's an expectation um which kind of is i I wanted to make sure people knew about that side of you as well Do, do you in your core because of the instruments that you learnt do you absolutely love classical music is it just part of you some of it I really love but I definitely think there was like a switch when I like when I was taking classes like as a little kid a lot of the repertoire would be very like Mozart and Beethoven and Bach Um, and then I think as my like playing skill got better as a teenager, I kind of discovered Ravel and Shostakovich and Debussy and it kind of felt like, you know that feeling when you're a teenager and you like find a band and you feel like that band is your band. Oh yeah. And like your parents don't know about it or they're not, I don't know, into it. And you're like, this is mine. And it just really like connects with you on a very deep level. I I felt like, yeah, probably like as a teenager, I, I got to that point. And a lot of that was through playing chamber music and string quartet. Wow. Um, and, and by that point, I wasn't studying Suzuki anymore. But I was part of a, a local music centre that was very encouraging of me despite the fact I didn't have any grades and wasn't as quick at reading sheet music um but yeah it was when I got to play the music that I liked or that I'd chosen it was this real like incredible like connection of Mm. the training and the practice and the discipline of music but then the like having agency to be like, I want to play this. Yes. Or even like playing along at home to like the Nirvana records, you know, where there's like cello on Unplugged in New York. Like, because I had the ear, it it was so easy just to like, to inhabit those parts. And, And I think it was like making that connection between a classical world, but then a world that I felt like I related to. Um, So you have those... You have those bands, right? And you have those artists that I totally relate that it's it's wholly yours and your secret and, and becomes part of your identity. What was the first film that made you feel like that, do you think? I think it was probably Requiem for a Dream. Wow. <laughs> the Jim Mansell soundtrack. Yeah. And that was before that music like got used in like Lord of the Rings or or anything so it was like but just the harmony and dissonance and like anguish in the arrangement of that string quartet Mm. it was like I don't know like an awakening moment whereas it 
where I could like connect. This is an instrument that I play, that it can be used to say something like this. Wow. And you'd had you heard things like that before? Do you think? I think maybe I could relate it to like some of the repertoire that I played. Like I played some of the Shostakovich eight string quartet, which is really dark and it's really sad. And it's basically like, I don't know, Shostakovich waking up after the war and like all of his family are dead and his neighborhood's been bombed. And he's kind of like the, the melody, the motif is written around the letters of his name. And it's like really haunting. But I guess with the Requiem for a Dream soundtrack, it's because it was connected to the story of these people that it was kind of like the music and the film coming together to like convey a really intense emotion. I think um, that Tarantino talks about it because obviously Tarantino has really great soundtracks of pop music and he talks about how film is one of those very rare and unique mediums where you can take a visual and take a song and create a whole new piece of expression um which is really exciting and and um it's like almost like alchemy in a sense which i'm sure you've seen um in in films that you love like what What's a good film? What's a good film soundtrack? What what does it mean to be a good film soundtrack? Like what 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 does it how does it affect you? Like we talk about you being obsessed over a film or TV soundtrack. Like what moves you? I think it's less like what moves you, and I think it's more for me about like the intention of how those two elements work together. Because I guess otherwise it just comes down to like, what's your musical taste in terms of like what moves you? And that Fair. could be applied to any kind of taste in life. You know, yes. you prefer one flavour to another. Yeah. But I think it's really understanding what the intention is of a scene or of a moment and mm. then... I guess the music almost becomes like an actor in itself that it's there to add an extra layer of dialogue mm -hmm. that's non-verbal mm. and it can be super subtle or it can be like super extrovert. Yes. But it's like contributing something that, I don't know, for me, it's the music that really drives the emotions. Mm. I love the the films that have scores and themes that keep coming back throughout the film that you like in, in, you know, in really like horrible, horrifying ways and really beautiful ways as well. I think that's so clever. Mm. Um, that, Do you watch Succession? I'm about to watch episode nine. <laughs> You've woken up to it. Come on after this. I'm not going to say any spoilers, but I think that soundtrack is like Nicholas Bratel is crazy, right? Crazy. Mm. Well, tell me about it. Talk. Let's talk about like you know what. We're a lot of us are Succession fans. I'm a huge Succession fan. I'm probably an episode behind you at this point, but uh, uh, 
the episode eight was so stressful and I forgot how stressful it can make me, stressed it can make me. And talk about like, what, what do you feel? What do you see both as a fan, as, a, as an artist? What, what does it do to you? What do you love about it? Just the intensity and the intensity on a macro and a micro level, right? Because it's kind of like you have these big like twists and turns, but then also deep down you have this like simmering intense family dynamic, which is something that everyone can relate to, Mm. you know, in terms of like personal relationships. And I don't know, I always think of like succession and the crown as being kind of the same the Completely. same thing, but just a different world, right? Um, but yeah, I love the the sibling dynamics underneath everything. But but I love that because mo- what you were saying before about like the motif that comes back. I love that, yeah, stomping motif with the piano that's like slightly like twisted and haunted and a bit like off. Yeah. And how he brings that motif back and it can become like a lament in a really sad moment and they'll be like it will be played by the orchestra by strings or it can be like a solo piano moment or with that like really like crunchy bass underneath um it can be like an anthem yes yeah Do, do you see yourself do you kind of I was going to ask if you see yourself doing soundtracks one day, but it's almost like you already are in a sense, because like the, the I'm work. I'm doing the soundtracks to the films that are playing inside my head. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and that's true. When you look at your music videos, you obviously, you look at your live performances, not that I've seen it in real life, but, you know, there's a very cinematic element to it. There's a very, like, there's a dance element to it. There's like lots of lighting and, and, and very considered. Um, you creative direct I, I assume these worlds like what 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 sort of worlds are you trying to build like there, there's a lot of like if anyone looks up the visuals after this of the latest release they're stunning and they're you know quite opulent but also quite fragile in a way like what are you what are you building Lucinda it's interesting because I think as I'm making it I'm never like, let's build this. Mm. It's almost like it's just easy to make the decision. No, it should be this way. Or, But I guess that's why it's lucky that I'm the artist, because if I was making it for a client, I would have no like language to justify why. Mm. Um, but I, But I think intuitively a lot of it, again, is the form is led by the feeling. And especially with the creative for this record, like so much of it is about like creating a feeling of intimacy or creating a feeling of like otherness or creating like a non-space that anyone could imagine themselves belonging inside or creating a space that references the past but equally could belong to the future. And then, like, paying homage or reference to, like, 
Chinese culture, like um, using like motifs that belong to history, but equally to my memory. Um, and I guess it all just kind of get gets mixed up in a pot and becomes this thing that I get to exist inside. And in my mind, it's making, I'm making a world that just makes sense when sometimes this world to me doesn't make sense. And so maybe, yeah, maybe that's, and, and I think often a, the same with the writing the music, it's like, it's a world that I enjoy belonging in. You know, like making the album, I really enjoyed spending time crafting it. Like working in the session became like a space for me to explore and to like inhabit and to be the main character of. <laughs> totally. Were you were you alone? Were you on your own when you were doing a lot of it? For a lot of it, yeah. But I guess not just the main character, but also kind of like the architect of. Yes. I guess that's... Ooh. It's probably more being the architect of it than the main character. It was like being able to design a world that made sense and felt intuitive to me. Mm -hmm. It did. I asked that question because perhaps I've read enough about the process or perhaps, I, you know, but it did feel like that in a cool way that it was like, it felt like you were alone in the making process of it. Um, mm -hmm. There's a there's a kind of solitary, you know, uh, reflection, I guess, within it, which is really cool. I gratefully interrupt this beautiful conversation to shout out and tell you about the podcast sponsor, Turntable Lab, who are the trusted source for Turntables Records and Audio Gear for the last 20 years. And um, they've been a big supporter of the podcast. So shout out to Turntable Lab. So what do you need to know? Well, you know, I know a lot of you are looking for stuff to upgrade your, your setup. And if you want to know where the good stuff is, the trusted resources, the trusted uh, elements that you could add, whether it's a needle or a stylus, as they say, or a turntable, a record player, some would say. Or you could also dip into the lab, which is a part of the store that has over 100,000 records as well. So you can you can buy it all in one stop shop. So they've got this deal going, right? It's called Four or More, where if you buy four or more records, you can get 10% off, which is very lovely. Turntable.lab, turntablelab.com. Or you can also check out my page, turntablelab.com forward slash Derek, and you can see the things that I own. You can see the things that I want to buy. You can see the things that I recommend for beginners. Ultimately, a little place to get familiar once you want to upgrade your system. And um, I'll be adding more and more things to it as I acquire and test out more things as well. But Turntable Lab, it's the place to go if you want that trusted, you know, there's lots of those weird sites out there that kind of like sell all these random things and I don't trust them personally. So that's where I'll go, Turntable Lab. Check it out, please. Support, support the pod, support the sponsor. Back to the episode. Do you feel like you're 
the music, can you, can you as an artist separate the visual from the music, from the live performance, or are they all kind of as like with these sounds and soundtracks and, you know, worlds that you've experienced throughout your life, are those all the set piece of what this is, do you think? I think they're all coming from the same intention or the same place. Maybe And maybe it's like that little kernel that I spoke about earlier. I think it's that that's driving the, the making process. But I think the like philosophy and approach is this is consistent maybe yeah. throughout yeah. the same way that I would think about editing something out of a song is the same way I would think about I don't know set design you know in in the song I'm I'm like painting in the trees or the stream or the rocks yeah or like is it cold and rainy or is it like sunny? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, are you in a really comforted cocoon like space or is yes. it a really expansive like view of the horizon? Mm-hmm. It's kind of the same, I think, when it comes to making images. Yes. I like this. It's, it's, cause I, I, I was kind of eventually getting there, but I guess we'll go there now. But it's like, you know, thinking and talking about like, soundscapes and landscapes and like the visual things like you said and the rocks and the wind and, and things like that and there is uh i assume there's there's certain instruments and ways the things that you'd reach for whether it's like colder and metal or you know warmer and more um organic do you you know you have all those tools in your arsenal i i assume like how do you how do you, what do you reach for? Like, um, what is the, okay, maybe more pointed. Like, what is the, what is the cello to you in terms of like, almost like a feeling or a visual? Mm. The cello is the treat that I often say for the end. Ooh. So I would say I use the keyboard or the piano to do my like heavy lifting. So that's like the bones. Maybe part of that is because I can see all of the keys mapped out in front of me. And so it's, I do a lot of my like structural writing or composing on the piano. And then I come to the cello and I use it more as a texture or as a voice. Um, Yeah. But I mm. probably use them in quite different ways. What kind of texture does it? Does Anything. Because also it's like when I'm using pedals or I'm like processing or manipulating, it's it's not like the cello has to represent wood. Yeah. It, it's like it, it can be anything. Um, I can get some really nasty sounds out of the cello mm. and that's really fun. <laughs> cello is I, I've always said this to myself that when I retire, when I'm old, I'd love to learn the cello. Um, I think it's a very, very incredible instrument. Do you uh, 
feel that as of someone that's played it their whole life? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. What? What is it? Like, what? what, Because it's used in so much, like, it's more than, like, I feel like it's used in horror films, you know, a whole lot. It's used in romantic, you know, you know, uh, bonnet dramas or whatever, you know. What is what is it? Do you think about the cello? I guess it's in a similar register to the human voice. I didn't know that. Um, its form is kind of a bit like a human. You hold it close to your body, so it's automatically an intimate instrument compared to like a drum which you hit. So maybe there's some kind of like I don't know anthropomorphized projection on there. I don't know. I'm literally spitballing right now. Um, it's blowing my mind. I agree. And, and maybe the the way that with the vibrato you can control the tone of the voice. Like when I play the cello, I can make it sound confident or happy or I can make it sound like it has a lump in its throat and it's going to cry, you know? Mm. Mm. Or I can make it sound like, nails on a chalkboard I, yes. I guess there's so much range in how you can express and because it's fretless it's like yeah it's fretless and keyless yes so the the, the kind of like boundaries and the edges are totally blurred you know, like if you play the piano you're you're on the grid the the, the pitch is decided for you you can't yes. really alter it Whereas the cello, there are so many different, like, like you can purposefully play it out of tune and that can sound really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's, there's a, a lot of freedom. Yeah, there's that, like, dissonance that you can access at any point. I, I, I'm going to remember that forever. I, I love that description that you, you said of it because it's, that, yeah, there is something about it that just, like, I feel like gets in people's blood and bones about it and it, it literally vibrates when you play it so you really feel that resonance or all the frequencies you know yeah it's like i remember i was playing on tour with fka twigs and we did a show at brixton academy it was like the big london home show for the magdalene tour and the the band we were up on like a fur there were like, I don't know, two, two story, three stories of scaffolding. And we were like up on the first layer above the ground. And I was like in the middle, but the subwoofer was underneath me. And so the whole like platform was kind of like vibrating because of the, the sub bass. And so I had my in-ear monitors in and I'd be like, oh, I can't hear the cello. Can you turn it up? Can you turn it up? Can you turn it up? And it got to the point where I realized that the reason I couldn't hear it is because partly I use the vibrations of the cello to pitch, but I'm not necessarily listening with my ears. I'm listening with my body. Oh, wow. And because the whole cello and platform was vibrating on the scaffolding because of the subwoofer. Yes. I couldn't hear myself and it didn't matter how loud it was in my ears. I couldn't feel it. Wow. that That's its own thing about music that kind of trips me out, that it's like, you know, if you have headphones on, it's a... It's a experience for the ears but when you go to a concert it's a full body experience which is like you know 
whole discussion about sound baths and stuff like that. But that's totally. that, what a crazy experience. Totally. Tell me more about uh, who are your in in the soundtrack world. Like, are there any that stand out to you that um, you know favorite films, favorite soundtracks that have stayed with you and influenced you? You know, uh, a film that I watched again recently that I really love is Orlando. You know, the adaptation oh. of the Virginia Woolf book mm-hmm. with um, Tilda Swinton in it. The soundtrack for that is like totally mind blowing for me. Tell me why. I think it's it's just so like physical and so it's it's by David Motion and Sally Potter and Sally oh, Potter really? actually directed the film. I I need to research more into it, but I guess she like co-wrote or is performing on the soundtrack too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess because it's a film that spans like such a broad period of time, because Orlando lives forever. I love the mix of like the very classical kind of like chamber music moments, but then also these really tender, like voice and guitar with lots of tremolo moments. Mm-hmm. And then the kind of like big pop song at the end. Um, but I guess it's that music transporting you to different different places and different worlds. I love how you said physical, because I feel like that I feel like there's an element there's the there's like this constant element with how you describe music in a very visual or bodily way, which I don't know if I've ever described music as physical before. I guess it's like the sensuality of music in the sense mm. that it appeals to your senses, right? There are certain I don't know, there are certain sounds I hear and they have like a taste almost, you know, like a metallic taste because they're mm-hmm. bright and twangy or mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you do you ever get that when you're listening to music? Not in a way that I could articulate. I feel like perhaps you have like it's not quite synesthesia, but I feel like you have the, you know, how you how you associate sounds to like a, a visual or physical form. Um is is quite cool and obviously informs what you do, which is uh, um, I, I would say that I've I, I I definitely get it more when I play music loud, and I I'm a big proponent for that because I think that we all are in our heads so much that I feel like I feel and think the most when there's just music kind of like coming at me type thing, mm. um, and are there. Tell me more. I, w- I want to hear. I want to hear all the, of the films that you like, especially like. I feel like it's a bit of a text for us for us to all enjoy and look up. And you know, are, th- are there others in your arsenal that are particularly? Did you ever see that film? I think it was in the like early two thousands. It's a Japanese film called All About Lily Chocho. No. Oh. I me. remember watching that as a teenager. It's like, it's it's really intense and quite dark it's about like these high school children who are all just I guess struggling to connect uh-huh. and it's in the age of like the early internet so there are a lot of like forums 
Um, and the film is kind of based around the fandom for this artist, Lily Chocho, who's, I guess, I don't know if it's a super reductive to say, but like kind of like a Japanese Bjork in the sense that she's a very visionary artist. She's carving out her own sound. She's building a very visual world. And for the soundtrack of that film, they actually created an album as this artist. And a lot of the soundtrack also leans on piano music by Debussy because one of the characters plays the piano. Yeah. Um, and again, it's just this really beautiful intersection between classical music and pop music. But then also you just get to feel all of the emotions that these teenagers are feeling that they can't express for themselves about their own lives, but they're able to articulate them so clearly when it comes to analyzing or dissecting her music or what it means to them or this whole culture that surrounds the record. Yes. And I just really loved that. And I, I go back to that soundtrack and listen to it regularly. I'd say it's probably my most listened to soundtrack because it's just a great album. Mm. It's, so it's a, fictional, it. it's a fictional it's a fictional artist. album made by Lily Chocho yeah which would have been the dream project to make right yeah I do love that I feel like it's pretty rare in film that there's a fictional artist that makes real music that exists out in the world the, I'm sure that there's more highbrow examples but um, Almost Famous has a band <laughs> that's like has music out that you can stream that is not a real band. Wow. Um, that's part of that whole narrative and kind of, I listen to it as you probably would with this film and like imagine this world that never existed, like in yeah. the sixties type thing, early seventies. That's cool. Um, yeah. I, I feel like my, my taste is probably a lot, a lot more basic than yours in film and the, the, the soundtracks that I like are either like ones that use pop music really cleverly. Um, you know, whether that's like, you know, like I said, Tarantino films or Wong Kar Wai films and, and things like that. Um, the Wong Kar Wai film soundtracks are incredible. It turns, it, it's turned me on to a lot of different things. Um, but. Which is your favorite Wong Kar Wai film? It's actually um, Happy Together. <gasps> Me too! Which is uh, because... It's so good. It's so... I just, I, I will never forget that film. I know. You know. Whereas I can watch, rewatch In the Mood for Love and be like, oh, I don't, I don't remember this scene. It's beautiful, it's stunning, it's a great film, but I'll be like, I don't remember. I'm like, I've seen Happy Together once. And I still remember it all. And I still remember how it made me feel. The emotions are so potent and so central in that film, right? Yeah. Whereas I love In the Mood for Love, but it's kind of like a mood, right? Yeah, a mood board, a feeling of, of, of you know, totally. capturing a feeling of those two. Whereas Happy Together, it's like Tony Leung and Leslie Chung are like so brutal to each other. And you kind of like love them both and hate them both. And 
see them do all these horrible things to each other, but also know that they care about each other. And it's just this really like toxic codependent relationship. Completely. Uh, it just, the toxicity is what <laughs> stayed with me. It's one yeah, of those films, some of my favorite films I've only seen once. Um, I watched it on. as a teenager and I actually watched it with my family. Oh, Jesus. For the first time. Yeah. And it was interesting because I watched it again. They did like a big rerun of Wong Kar Wai's film in the UK so you could go and see them in the cinema. Hmm. And so I went back and rewatched it. And I remember the first time when I watched it as a teenager, I really empathized with Tony Leung's character. And watching it back, I was like, oh, wow. He was actually pretty mean. Like he stole this Leslie Chung's passport, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's kind of like, it was interesting how like younger me had a different read on it as totally. older me, I guess. But I, also, uh, I just love the use of tango in it. Right. And tango being like the most sorrowful dance of heartbreak. <laughs> mm, well put. Like, I think, yeah, there's, there's, there's so much romanticism to Wong Kar Wai's work and, and and soundtracking, which is completely different. It's, it's largely popular music. That's that's it's rarely like actually designed, but you know can make a pretty cheesy Nat King Cole record singing in Spanish be the most stunning <laughs> record out, which I now own, like uh, the record of. And you listen to it, and his pronunciation in Spanish is horrible, but. <laughs> So also it was really interesting because it made me think of a lot of that music as Asian. Yes. Because it was like seeing, hearing that music in that world mm-hmm. kind of gave me a different entry point to it. Yeah. That's really interesting. Can Can we like dig in a little bit on that a bit? Because I know that you've discussed and talked about you know, identity and and being, you know, half Chinese and, and uh, you know, say Asian and Southeast Asian experience, like, do do these, I, I, I want to hear, I, I'd love to hear a little bit about it, especially like, you know, speaking about Wong Kar Wai and like, you know, the songs that kind of feel more Asian in a sense. And do you, do you feel like, I know that you've talked about those role models that were or were not around. Did film act as that in some ways? You know, as you're talking now, it's like the penny is like dropping. Uh, And it's something that I'd never actually thought of until this moment now. But yeah, of course, watching film and having access to Asian culture through film probably played a really large part in me trying to figure out what my Asian identity was in the absence of having like a large Asian family or Asian kids in my school around. So probably in watching those films, I was really like searching for who I should be or I don't know where I came from. How did it, how did they make you did they make you feel proud? Did they make you feel intrigued? Did they make you feel passionate? 
do you think? I don't even think I got to that point. You know, I think I was just hungry. Yes. And and I probably didn't even know why. Mm. You know, I think it's not until like as an adult I'm able to almost like reflect back on that and be like, ah, oh, mm. mm. maybe I liked that because of that. But I guess like when you're a kid, you're just like, I like this. But I, I guess like watching all about Lily Chocho and watching teenagers in Japan play Debussy. Right. It was an easier access point to Debussy than, I don't know, going to a concert where it would be like classical concert with majority white people. And I, I don't know, it was a very different world. This, um, this conversation is almost always already my favorite conversation. Um, it, I, I, I smiled because like of your life <laughs> of my life oh, oh. in this setting, but also of my life. <laughs> no, um, uh, it, I, I smile because I've been thinking a lot about, you know, it's nice that we're both Asian and this is this discussion, not that it was by design, but um, I've been thinking a lot about, the the people that were the people that I looked up to, um, and there are many. Um, whether they're like, you know, DJs or rock stars, and I think a lot of that for me was around like I didn't know people like me were allowed in those spaces, and and I think as I've spoken about a lot on my podcast and in my on my videos, um, Richie Sakamoto at a certain point in my early twenties was like, I was at that point learning about music, big music nerd, but you, one only knew about Brian Eno and Kraftwerk and to see someone so advanced in, in their discography that no one was introducing to me. And I had mm. to discover just split my brain in two and I was like wait hold on a second there's a whole that's uh, there's a lot of reasons why I think a lot about music and it's like these experiences you know where you're, you're like I didn't know that that was a thing I didn't know these people were doing that over there I just thought it was like foreign and different and weird and there's this person doing beautiful things that kind of looks like me you know um mm. does that do you feel like you had little markers in your life that you know, there's this film, as we've discussed, in a sense. Do you think that there were there were some in your life that were showed you that you could? Do you think with music? Yeah. Probably twigs. Yeah, I mean. It was the first time I'd ever had like a woman of color as a boss, you know, mm. all the jobs I'd worked previously, I'd been in a company and I'd been employed by like white men mm -hmm. and seeing her as the boss of her own company, as well as the artist and how she had agency over 
who she chose to collaborate with and what kind of environment she chose to surround herself in. I was kind of like, oh, are we allowed to do that? You know, do you know what I mean? I guess it's yeah. this like asking for permission. I always felt like a lot of my life, I was like asking for permission to, to be myself. And it felt really radical working with her. And yeah, not just working with her as an artist, but working with her as a business was really radical. Did you see a, a lot of that side? Could you like for the audience share a bit more what you did with her? So I played in her live band. Um, I did my first concert with her, I think in, maybe it was like 2015 or 2016. Um, but then I went on tour in her live band with her for Mag for her Magdalene album. So we went on a world tour together. Wow. And so I was very much like in, in that world, almost full time. Um, but it was just so inspiring to get to play Afropunk, you know? And to see, like, to see the joy of everyone wanting it to be a really great moment, mm. you know, right down to, like, the security guards. Like, everyone was just, like, wishing it to be this exceptional moment. And it became an exceptional moment because of that. Mm -hmm. And... It made me think, I wish we had an Asian festival, you know, so that we could feel that joy or. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, um, it's funny because you make me think that sometimes when I see artists with like classically trained accompaniment, um, I, I always wonder what they think, like the, 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 those players, because, I always just imagine that they're like very classically trained and they just think all of this is rubbish. Um, but it's kind of cool that you existed in that and you took away, like obviously I'm, I'm generalizing, but it's like one assumes, oh, they just hired some person to play these instruments that isn't part of this world, but it really like helps to show you that you could. Oh, but also I'm sure that's why she chose me. You know, because there are so many incredible classical cellists that are way better at playing the cello than me. And yeah, but I'm sure there was something in my story or in my identity that resonated with her. And that's partly the reason why we ended up working together. How did she hear of you? It was through her A&R Tick, who also used to be in her band. But I remember um, he sent me a text message being like, oh, Twigs is looking for a cellist. Do you mind if I put you forwards? And I was working in like an office job at the time. I was working as like a creative consultant, consulting with brands. And so we do research and put like decks together being like, here are cool people doing cool things. Be more like them. And I remember like she was in the case studies, you know? So we were doing like presentations to 
big global brands being like, look at this campaign she's directed with Nike. You should partner with like strong female artists who have a strong sense of, you know, and then he was texting me being like, want to come along and have this like tryout session. And I had such little confidence as a cellist that I remember like thinking about it for hours being like, I can't do this, but I could suggest someone else who's a real cellist who should do this, you know? Yeah. And then a friend of mine, Letir, who's also an amazing artist, he was the receptionist at the company. We were we kind of like had this allyship because we both worked in this office job, but we both love music as well. Yeah. He was like, look, they wouldn't ask you if you weren't ready. He was like, just go and do it. And so I was like, okay. So I went and did it. And... I, I I don't know. I I thought she wanted something different. I thought she wanted me to come in and be like a great classical cellist. And so I kind of went in to the audition trying to emulate that. Yeah. But then in the end ended up playing cello in the weird way that I play and that's what she was looking for, you know? What, what did you play? Like, did you try to do some impressive classical thing or were you doing your own version of that? Or? So we had to, I had to prepare a, something. They were like, oh, come along and play like Good to Love, which I think at her time was a single that had come out most recently. And so I'd kind of like taken the day of annual leave to like prepare for this audition and then like go. And I just told them like, can I take this day off as holiday? And they were like, okay, I'll work. Um, but yeah, so I'd like written a part that I felt like was the best part. And of course, when I got there, they were like, oh yeah, so, you know, we're doing it in a different key and we've kind of changed the tempo and oh, no. the structure's a bit different, but let's just like vibe it out. And I was like, okay. Um, and there were like, I don't know, 10 people in the room. And they'd set me up on the middle of the of the stage, like a seat, and um, yeah, kind of like scrambled my way through it. And then she was like, "Okay, let's try pendulum." And then I was just like s- straight in on the fly, figuring out something. Wow! But I think because of my training, I could play by ear. Yeah. You know, I didn't. Some cellists can't play unless you give them the ch- the sheet music but I think because I play so intuitively and I really like l- listen and that that's what my skill is I think yes it actually felt way more natural to just do that rather than to have prepared something that I needed to replicate yeah and um yeah I remember then there was like a little break and then the one of the managers came over to me and was like, can I get your passport details? Because we're going to be going to Germany in like a week. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Wow. I think they'd seen, I don't know, like six or seven cellists or something. Wow. Crazy. What a story. I was just like. But I nearly it. texted back being like, no. 
I can't do that because I'm not very good at reading sheet music and I didn't actually go to music school. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I could have very easily passed on that. Wow. And arguably that, (laughs) yeah, you know, it's funny you say that because I've been thinking about that personally for a, a little bit now about like, does it exist or is there something else? You know, like, because I think a lot of people don't have imposter syndrome. They have like, like, they just feel like they can inhabit every space. And I think, I actually think the that syndrome, the more I'm thinking about it, is actually a, a, a really positive trait to have. Because you really think quite deeply about the rooms that you feel like you deserve to be in. and And once you get there, it's not because you forced your way in is because you really have earned it in a way and it's a commitment to aspiring to achieve something beyond your immediate reach right yeah it's like imposter syndrome is a symptom of like wanting to grow yeah yeah exactly and and being the opposite is like entitlement right exactly Exactly. I just like, perhaps it's, it, it should just be that term, imposter syndrome, but I think it's such a plus because mm. if you're, if you're thinking a lot about if you're right and if you're ready and, and, and still doing it, even though you might think you're not, there's something comes out of that. That's more true than <laughs> a lot more true mm. than entitlement. So it's like, it's a really weird thing to have because I, I know that you listen to my podcast about passion projects yeah, I was going to bring that up because you are so like entrepreneurial and courageous, you know, like in taking these steps. Yeah. You know, like when you said about like leaving, like coming to London because you liked NTS, you know, <laughs> I was like, that is such a power move. Like that's so bold. Like what did that feel like? Thank like, was you. it scary? Yeah. Or did you just have this feeling in your gut that you were like, it's going to be okay? Both. I think it was scary, but it was also like, I think I might have said this, but I, I think a lot about life and my experience of life and how I've got one shot and I'd had enough of the corporate experience to know that if I kept going, this was it. So it was more scary to accept that that could have been my life than it was to go like, I'm educated. I know I'm a nice person. It, if it doesn't work out, it, I'll be fine still. But I'd rather do this than than just sit back and wait. And I appreciate what you say because yeah, it's it's a the just like you not thinking that you were in deserve to be in these places. I don't think. You know, I, I, the, the following, whatever you want to call it, I have and the people that come up to me in the streets and stuff, it's like I've always been this guy that just thinks about music and talks about and listens to music. I haven't done anything different. I just happen to have a camera turned on, you know. So I think that the the world is kind of weird and crazy like that and presents it. That's why I say, like, why I'm thinking a lot about imposter syndrome. I've never, I still don't, I think something that you said on another podcast that really resonated with me was about like, stop trying, you would, you, you stopped trying to be cool. 
Like I think oh, it was, yeah. I don't know if it was in recording something or playing something, but what, yeah. what was that about again? I can't remember, but yeah, I definitely feel like a lot of my life I tried to be cool and then I just accepted that I'm not. And then that is probably the thing that makes me cool. <laughs> Precisely. But uh, I, I think it's, I don't know. I wonder how much of it comes back to assimilation, you know? And for me, for me, I, th I think I've always felt like an outsider. I've always felt like on the fringe or like on the edge or the anomaly. Like even down to like within my own family, you know, like m my parents are the first interracial marriage of their respective families. Wow. And so it's like, I've always been different. But I think it's interesting you know, like when you were saying about like leaving your corp corporate job to do something different. Mm. I think we're both quite similar in that, in that we've gone that way. Most people go the other way, right? Start off being artists and then are like, this is too much. And then kind of, but, but I feel like I got, I got to a good, I was in a good career. I was on a good salary, but something in my gut was like, this is not right. Because it was like, I had my values and I had my skills, but they weren't aligned. Yes. And I think the Twigs thing was such a wake up call because it was like, why are you reporting on the case study when you could be the case study? <sighs> We come from similar worlds uh, in that regard. I've worked on those decks. Um, <laughs> it's weird, isn't it? Uh, because it's like you're, you're informing these big brands of culture about what is culture. And you're kind of like all these people are in these rooms who are doing really interesting things that are that as well. But uh, yeah, it's perhaps that's what drove us in this direction. <laughs> Mm. Um, and, and did you have you always felt supported in going against the grain like by family or by friends or? this is this is the podcast about you Lucinda but uh, no but I, I I'm interested to see if there's crossover I I smile a lot because my 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 mom has always believed in me and I think that that's you know you know, don't make me cry on my own podcast, but I'm one of four and um, I have two, two older sisters and they were very brilliant academically. And I think she felt worried that I would have to live up to that. And I've got a younger brother as well, but much younger. Um, and I think that because of that, she let me do what I wanted to do. So like when you choose your electives for the last year, last years of your high school, you're meant to choose maths and like an advanced level of English and history. And I chose music, design and technology. I wanted to choose visual art, but I did clashed. So I chose the most ba basic version of maths just because I 
wasn't my thing and I thought I'll just do well at that basic version of maths and it worked out. And yeah, I kind of like, I, I, I guess to your point about entrepreneurial, I was just like, I will do what I like to do and I'll make that work for my grades. And I got mm. into the degree I wanted despite not doing the things that you should, you know, which is ultimately perhaps a bit of like encouragement, but also concerned by my mother that I would crumble under a pressure of expectation, you know, which is love. It's beautiful. Mm. So there you go. Now, I did tell you <laughs> at the beginning of this that um, we'd be a tight hour and we've gone a little bit over. But I have to say before we leave, like, and I hope this is the same for everyone listening. Much like your music, this conversation has been very... Um, Therapeutic, very restful, very calming. I think there's something about you and and your music and and your energy that's really that's really lovely. And um, I, uh, I I like that I've been a fan for a while. I've gotten to meet you at least digitally to kind of hear your story because I think that I recommend that everyone listens to the other podcasts that you've done. Um, the Resident Advisor one. There's another one with a gentleman. Uh, who was in Berlin. I forget what the podcast is called. Lost in Sound. Lost in Sound. Yeah. Because I think that you kind of touch on different versions of yourself in each podcast. This just felt like a really nice chat for me. Same. That's the ideal. That's the ideal as well, but not everyone possibly is, is open to that. But um, what is, what's, what's next now for you as we, as we finish up? Make some lunch. <laughs> I actually meant career-wise, but also food-wise, yes. What's for lunch? Uh, I actually just boiled some boba. So I want to make, basically, I spend way too much money on bubble tea, but I really <laughs> want to, like, have a go at making my own. <laughs> I've never made my own. Is it hard? We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great way to end it, to be honest. Okay. We've talked a lot about career. Now, don't forget to turn your fridge back on. Thank you for that. And no don't one's going to know what that means because we didn't leave catch it at that, that at the beginning, but I'm going to do that. Leave it leave it at that. But thank you so much, Listen to Chua. Everyone listen to Yan and Antidotes and all the mixes as I have. Um, thank you so much for your time. It's been, it's been amazing. <laughs>